I'm Mia Sigma. My pronouns are she, her, and welcome to one of Central Michigan Life's newest podcasts, Diverse Voices. On Diverse Voices, I'll be bringing you a different sound and new voices and stories each week. Our goal is to make sure students hear themselves in the news and in our broadcasts. If you've got a story to tell, send us an email or DM us to share your voice. Today, on episode one, we'll be talking with Lauren Hull of Central Votes, a nonpartisan voter encouragement organization on campus. We'll be discussing the new swing of voting restrictions in some states and what that means for voters. Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Central Votes does at Central Michigan University? Um, We bring out professionals to help get students registered to vote, kind of walk them through that process, um, explain the difference between registering here, registering at their home, those kinds of things. Um, And we're also working on voter education and civic engagement workshops, which is very, very exciting. Something new that we're doing um, where we just kind of have the basics and fundamentals of voting and what that looks like. And we are always willing to partner or present with any RSO or organization. Uh, Just feel free to email us at centralvotes at gmail.com. And we, yeah, we'd love to work with anybody. That's so great. And we'll make sure to put that tag in at the end of the podcast again, just so people know what they're doing. All right, now that we've gotten all introduced, um, let's get let's get into our stuff. All right, so just a little background in case our leader, our readers aren't our readers and listeners aren't sure. During the height of the pandemic and the 2020 election, President Trump and many congressional supporters encouraged voters to go in person and stay away from mail-in voting, insinuating often that mail-in ballots would be tampered with. After the election, still months later, many conservative leaders have contested that the election was rigged through this indirect voting. In response, many congressional leaders have put forth now passed legislation to restrict voting in an effort to, would you say, secure voting? Um, I think that's what they would say. That's what their response would be to the motivations of their actions. Um, Personally, I think that it's quite clear that what they are doing is really suppressing the vote and suppressing those of people they don't want to vote. And I think first off, it's important to acknowledge that election fraud is almost non-existent. It is insignificant. It's like point, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but it's almost non-existent. And the reason for that largely is if you think about it, um, it's a very high laborious intensive crime to commit for very little reward. Um, And the penalties for getting caught with voter fraud is multiple felonies. It is a felony in the state of Michigan to get caught committing voter fraud. And the steps you would have to go through even to just get one vote make it usually not an issue for people. Um, and so I, th- it, it seems clear that they are tackling what is a non-existent issue really and truly. Um, hmm, that's a very interesting take. I will say that I agree with you. I think that their evidence is a little interesting. I mean, you know, you hear about so many states that took so long to recount their votes. There's still places like Alabama, even Georgia a little bit, who are still talking about doing a re-election. And it's like, wait, guys, a year has passed. What yeah. are you doing? I mean, they did do this for 2016 during what was considered Russian interference. I mean, what is so different about 2020 and 2016 that we're not taking the same precaution? Um, I think, truthfully, politics is is the main difference. Um, certain elected officials have realized that their leadership has emboldened them to take these steps and and will not stop them from taking these steps um, in terms of party leadership. Um, So I think that's that's a huge part of it that we're seeing. 
is that this has become a political tactic, which it absolutely should not be. Um, and it it's almost as if these elected officials are not treating voting as a right. They're treating it as a privilege, um, which of course it absolutely is a right. And part of it being a right means that it has to be accessible and understood by the population. And accessible is the key that that I think they're missing there. That's an interesting point that you make. I I agree with you. I think the more political people are making voting, the more it's seen, as you're saying, as something that doesn't matter as much as even though it's a privilege to be able to say, no, I don't want to vote, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of why Central Votes is is doing what we're doing, just kind of trying to be that that steady factual force in, in a nonpartisan way to say, this is the truth of of voting issues. Um, This is where we stand and this is how we can improve access to voting. Because I'm a younger student, I'm a sophomore now, but um, as I mentioned earlier, but um, I voted for the first time in the 2020 election. So that was really exciting for me as a political science minor. I kind of geeked out about it, but I can say that because voting's very cool to us political science people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um. Do you think that this mail-in voting, this alternative voting, could become a norm? I mean, I voted by mail. A lot of my family and friends voted by mail. I mean, this seems like a shift toward away kind of from the in-person voting. Yeah, first I will say um, mail-in voting is something that's always existed. It it has existed before the 2020 election. Um, So I think that's really important to acknowledge that this is an institutional thing that especially the state of Michigan has had for a while. The new thing that did come up um, in recent elections is now the state of Michigan has with um, with mail-in voting, mail-in voting a no, uh, no excuse absentee policy. So anybody can request an absentee ballot for any reason. You don't um, need to prove that you deserve to have an absentee ballot, if that makes sense. And I think that that is particularly important for our student population because a lot of students are registered to vote in their hometowns. And if you live you know, if you're from Ypsilanti or from Marquette or someplace that is unreasonably far away, mail-in voting is is really the only option that you have to vote because you can't take a whole day and a half to go to go and vote. Um, so I think right, mail-in which... voting will continue to increase, especially among our student population. But I do think that it's also really intriguing. Me ta- so talking about the history of mail-in voting. I do think that the 2020 election saw a shift in mail-in voting. Um, I think one of the reasons for that is people are just more aware that it's a thing and that it they've realized that it's a more convenient way to uh, exercise their right to vote. So I do think that we'll see that increase simply because more people are aware of it now. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up people can't, nobody mostly, can't take a day and a half to go vote. I mean, why why are we making election days national holidays? I mean, in some states, yes, there's quite a few exemptions, but what? why not? Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And it speaks a lot to the trend of um, typically people from a better socioeconomic status of higher percentages of voting. And that's precisely the reason is, is people in that lower socioeconomic bracket simply can't afford to spend the day voting. Um, And I also think with these voter suppression tactics that the officials who are making this, um, they understand that. 
And um, when we see things, I know we're going to talk about the Texas law later, but when we see things with the Texas law, like closing early voting, for some people, that was the only way they could vote. Um, or closing polling locations, limiting the number of polling locations. So then that line is then longer and it then takes you longer to vote. Um, or in Georgia, when we see the end of voting on Sundays with souls to the polls in the black community. So these, even though a lot of these policies on the surface seem like really good ideas and they seem that they they seem to be that they would eliminate fraud if you look beyond the surface of that they are incredibly targeted at suppressing the vote and suppressing the vote for a very particular group of people hmm. and ex just exploring that other argument i mean a lot of people are saying that this is no different from beforehand you know all the needs for identification you know a lot of people are calling this a jim crow which has gotten the responses like whoa that is so extreme you know and it sounds like you feel that these restrictions, yes, they are suppressive, but like exploring that other argument, I mean, could these in some way end up being more positive than negative? Um, I think that they're just redundant, largely. I, I do think that there does need to be some verification to make sure that voter fraud isn't running rampant, um, but I think we've done that. Uh, casting a vote in somebody else's name or casting multiple ballots is already a felony. Um, we already have ballot certificate or signature certification. So when you go in to vote and you show your ID, they take um, they take that ID and they compare it to a signature that they have on file. And that's how they validate it. That's why the ID is important there, um, which is why in the state of Michigan, you're allowed to sign an affidavit when you go in if you don't have an ID, because really they only care about that signature. Um, so I think that there's just so many steps in mm -hmm. integral election security that these new measures feel redundant. And so the side effects of them, the negative side effects of them are outweighing any possible benefit because because they are redundant laws. Right, right. All right. You mentioned Texas already and Georgia, so we're going to dive into that. Um, for listeners, um, just to give them a little bit of background, I mean, if we look at the single states, right now, Texas is a hot topic, whether that is with privacy laws or voting restrictions. Recently, Governor Greg Abbott has pushed some pretty controversial voting laws, including, as I mentioned earlier, you know, how these restrictions protect the integrity, as we're saying, because we've kind of decided, I mean, these are just repetitive. They are while they may be under the guise of protection, are they really doing anything for us? But with these restrictions, which I believe are in the process of being passed, I mean, does this really protect our integrity or will it be restricting voting opportunities? Are we targeting specific groups, as you mentioned? And, you know, I mean, let's think about this. Like, does this create a negative environment for our voters? Um, yes, absolutely. I think on the one hand, politicians are very quick to take up the phrase, you know, we want more voter engagement. We want people out in the polls. Um, but it seems to be that their behavior is quite indicative of the opposite. Um, for all of that sentiment, a lot of the rules that they're passing are creating a hostile environment for voters, where voters feel the need to justify their right to vote. Um, and I think that's that's an 
important part of it. And then some of the things that that are in that Senate bill in Texas are just absolutely absurd. Um, so, for example, it requires establishing monthly citizenship checks. And I personally think that there's no real valid reason to do that. You already have to show proof of residency when you come into the polls. Um, when you come to the polls, you have to prove either through like a recent utility bill or um, a, a recent bank statement, something that proves that you are in the community. And I think that those, I, in my humble opinion, there's nothing that a monthly citizen check is giving to us that you couldn't get from certifying a, like a um, local bill or a local bank statement from, from that recent thing. And then also, I mean, elections don't happen all the time. Why, why does the citizen check need to be monthly? Well, true, true. So it seems clear to me that that, that policy is particularly to find non-citizens um, mm. rather than in, in true election security. I think that's an interesting point you make that I didn't even I didn't even outline that for today because I didn't realize that that's an interesting point that definitely targets a group of people who I mean, yes, they are an integral part of voting in America, but a citizen check would fully remove that group of people. And whether we like it or not, we need immigrants, whether with citizenship or not, we need immigrants in the United States because we're an immigrant state. I mean, that's. That's a great point you make. But yeah, and again, um, solving a problem that is non-existent. Um, most immigrants can't vote because in order to register to vote, you have to prove citizenship. So if you have already registered to vote, you've already proved that you're a citizen. Um, yeah, and again, you're already proving residency over and over again. So a lot of these checks are, are redundant and um, actively oppressive. Right. That's just one of our that's just one of the many issues. Another issue is with the state of Georgia right now. So for the listeners at home who aren't <laughs> for those who don't know, we've got Lauren laughing. She's giggling about the state of Georgia, <laughs> which is worth giggling about. So the Justice Department actually recently sued the state of Georgia for legislation that they legislation they were trying to pass. Um so recently it was rumored that they were going to try and put out new legislation that was going to abolish Sunday voting and restrict Friday, Saturday voting for weekends. So, I mean, a lot of places have talked about a lot of active groups. A lot of lobbies have talked about how that targets specifically our African-American black voters. I mean, a lot of people don't have time, not only during the week to go vote, but they also don't have time you know, the time that they have is after church and that's when they would go, which is restricting all of these things. I mean, specifically in Georgia, a southern state that has a conservative history, you know, what kind of opinions do you have on these changes, Lauren? Yeah, I think it's important to notice that they're not just passing this law to be inconvenient to the black vote. Um, and it's not just that black voters went on the weekends because of convenience. Um, it's that specifically in the church, well, first, um, looking at the history of Black activism has centered very heavily around church, around the church. Um, and so what the church did, or ministers or pastors did, is they got together and said, we're all here on a Sunday anyway. Why don't we actively coordinate busing and whatever our community needs to get to the polls, we can coordinate that easier because everybody's already on church at Sunday. So Souls to the Polls is a legitimate campaign with, with structure and, and all of these other things. And so 
which I think just makes it even more obvious that these laws are intentionally targeting. It's also the polls, yeah. Targeting a campaign um, that has come out of the grassroots movement in the Black community. So I think that's really important. And I also think it's really important um, for our viewers to understand kind of why we are seeing this rise in all of this anti-voting legislation. And it goes back to the Voting Rights Act of 1965, uh, the, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 kind of had two major parts that are important for this understanding. Uh, the first one was that it recognized a variety of different states and named these states that had a history of voter suppression following the civil rights movement. And the second part of that law said that any of the states on the first part, the list, had to run any changes that they wanted to make to voting in their state by the federal government so that the federal government can make sure that that, that suppression wasn't happening. Um, and in 2015, during a Supreme Court case, the Supreme Court basically invalidated the first part of that law. It said that it, the list that um, the law created was outdated. It was based on outdated information even though um, there was a long history of proof that the, that the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was working um, and that it had stopped significant voter suppression legislation from coming into reality. Uh, but the Supreme Court ruled that that was invalid, it was outdated. And so even though the second part stands, the part about needing to run that legislation by the government, there is no longer a list of states to which that part applies. And so since 2015, we have seen a huge uptick in voter suppression because there's no longer that law that's stopping that from, from happening. I think something we keep coming back to is that the suppression is systematic. It's not, you know, this incline of voter restriction is not happening, you know, oh, this happened once, oh, this happened twice. You know, it's not some random outlier that we're seeing. And I think as you're saying, you know, this is in, an increasing problem, which I think is a little strange for us, unfortunately. As a country, you know, we always thrive on individual freedoms, or so we say, but as we're seeing this restriction, you know, we are limiting our citizens' rights. Yeah, no, I think that that, that is absolutely right. It is definitely something that is systemic and is ingrained in this country. I think a lot of us like to think that that is a problem of the past, but I think it's really important to recognize that the Voting Rights Act of 1965, I mean, my grandma was alive when that act was passed. Um, this is something recent in our lives um, and in our history as a country that that kind of hatred was, was very, very recent and not to say that it ever entirely went away, um, but that progress that we made was really recent. And so I certainly think that the system's not perfect. Uh, do I think it would be better if we had no system? I, I don't particularly, but. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad. <laughs> That'd be an interesting opinion on our show. If anybody would like to bring that up, you know, or find us. Um, you're just such a positive voice. I love that. But um, thank you. Going back to Georgia and Texas. Um, what do we how do we help those southern students who are voting far away from home? I mean, is there anything that they can do in their local governments or with central votes to, you know, either imp impede these restrictions or to maybe even fight them? Yeah. Uh, so number one, my always go to is contact your representative. They they will listen to you. It's important to understand structurally you are their boss, not not the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, particularly if you are their constituent and you live in their district. 
call them. I promise you, they they will listen to what you have to say. Um, you so I think that's really important. Call your call your representatives. Call your representatives. It's important. <laughs> uh, number two, central votes is really um, here is a resource to help any student who needs any any sort of help with voting. Please, please, please reach out to us, even if you're out of state. We know those resources. We can get them to you. Of course, I am more well versed in the voting systems of Michigan, um, but that does not mean I am not willing to help you figure out what you need in order to vote. Of course. Let's talk a little bit more about those student voters. I mean, according to the United States government census in 2020, all citizens between the ages of 18 and 34 of that only 57% voted in the 2020 election. Now, compared to the 49% who voted in 2016, that's pretty good, but that's not a lot of people when you really think about it in comparison to the population of the United States and that we're taking from 18 to 34. I mean, that's an entire college graduation. Yeah. You know, if you go for straight four years, that's multiple years of not voting, multiple years of not taking advantage of this right that you have. You know, why are we the smallest group of people who don't vote? Um, I think mostly because I think it's a combination of things. Number one, I think that most students don't recognize the importance of voting and don't recognize the amount of power that they that they hold in their vote. And I think coupled with that is students' lack of understanding of how to vote. The voting seems like such an insurmountable thing. And if you don't understand the importance of it, you have no incentive to try to get over this insurmountable hurdle of figuring out how to do it. Um, I mean, most civics classes don't teach you actually how to vote. So I think that, that that's important. And that's kind of what we're here to do is to make sure, number one, that students understand that they have power. And um, I think that a lot of older generations do not want younger people voting because they see the power that we collectively could have. And so, I mean, if there's so many people, I mean, this goes right back to voter suppression. If there's so many people trying so hard to stop you from voting, then it very clearly is, at least in some level, something important. And, and you hold some sort of significant power enough that people are willing to take actions to stop you from exercising it. Um, so just, we focus a lot on empowering students, letting them know that they have power in their vote and then giving them the resources to actually execute that power. Right, right. I actually talked to a family member of mine. I have a great grandma who's still alive. And she said, I said, Grandma, I'm doing this podcast about voting. She's like, don't tell people to vote. I was like, yeah. Grandma, what do you mean? She's like, I don't want youngsters voting. And I was like, Grandma, no. But you're right. You're right. They don't want young people voting because the opinion difference is so great. But I mean, there are still some students, there's still some kids out there who say, I, you know, I even have friends, unfortunately. I'll get to them eventually and I'll make them vote. But, you know, I have friends out there who say, I just don't care. I don't care about politics. I mean, what, how do we tell them about this? How do we tell them how important this is? Yeah, so my first response would be um, everything is political. You you cannot not care about politics. Politics affects everything in your life, um, particularly when we're talking about local elections. 
And so I think that a lot of young people don't understand the importance of voting down the ballot. And by voting down the ballot, I mean voting for local candidates. Those are the people that have the most control over your lives. Um, and unfortunately, they are usually, even in presidential elections, most people will vote for the president and then not vote down ballot. So these people are that are impacting your lives are getting elected by a significantly small portion of your community. So I think that's really important, um, empowering people to vote locally and teaching them the importance of that. Like, you should care. This this is impacting how we go to school. This is impacting how we live our lives. Um, city ordinances about what we can and can't do in this community. Um, so I think that's really important. And then I always favorite. like to say, not, feeling like you cannot vote is the epitome of privilege. Thinking that you that you can vote and be totally fine no matter what the outcome is, I think is the epitome or the best expression I've ever seen of, of having extreme privilege. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do love that. I do love when I hear people complain about things that are political, you know, either whether, like you said, it's local representatives, it's all of a sudden, you know, you have to go to school on Indigenous Peoples Day. All of a sudden, yeah. you don't have to go to school on MLK Day. And I hear these, you know, it's like, okay, but you control that. You know, you could have, you could have voted. You could have done this. I mean, you know, I think, and hopefully our listeners will get this after this episode. Hopefully we are getting to some people and telling them how important voting is. If you guys really want to hang out, with us and central votes you should definitely listen again but more importantly go vote you know yeah um i think we see a lot of uh social media activists people who like to post um different social justice things and that's great and there's certainly a place for that in social justice and in in daily life um but a good part of that is, is put your money where your mouth is if you want to see real change um you have you have to vote you have to vote all right that's so great i think we're just wrapping up here we're gonna wind down we're gonna inch away from such a hot topic which is so hard <laughs> so hard i could talk about voting for hours i really really could but that's the political science dork within me <laughs> um, but i mean let's get back to central votes let's so circle back to a little local let's circle back to isabella county i mean even though you guys are a central Michigan University organization, you guys still do things for the Mount Pleasant area. You're still doing things for other people. You know, could you talk a little bit more about your initiatives that have to do with what's going on right now? Um, yeah, so so we'll partner a lot um, with the Isabella County municipality government. So that's like your city commissioners of Mount Pleasant and, and different things like that, and trying to really work with them and see how we can merge um, students engagement with that like city commissioner style government and that local government just because cmu is such a big part of this campus um we don't currently have anything going on right now just because our city commissioners are a little focused on on covid mm -hmm. so we're giving them a little bit of space to breathe there uh but yeah especially it being an off election election cycle we're letting them deal with a little bit more pertinent issues or immediate issues i should say that's so cool. Any last messages from you or Central Votes? Anything you want to leave our viewers with? 
Yeah, again, just really stressing that importance of voting. And and if you've listened to this podcast and you think that voting is something that you're interested in, but you don't know how to do it, please reach out to us. Uh, we, we have an engage page. Um, we meet Tuesday nights at eight at eight o'clock in ANSPA 254. Um, and again, you can always email us at student at centralvotes at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, reach out to us. I promise we'll, we'll get you connected and, and resources on how you can vote. Lauren, thank you so much. And thank you to Central Votes for letting us borrow her for the night. Um, thank you both so much for working with us on this pilot episode. That's all we've got for today, folks. So once again, I am Mia Sikama and welcome to Diverse Voices.